In this episode of the Skift Ideas podcast, we're joined by Larry McGuire, co-founder and owner of MML Hospitality. Larry was born and raised in Austin, where his culinary career began at age 16, working in a variety of Austin restaurants. Today, he has 23 restaurants, hotels, and retail shops under MML Hospitality. Join us as Larry shares his unique viewpoint on hospitality, and we delve into how we can design spaces with character and community in mind. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Skift Ideas podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We're joined by Larry McGuire, co-founder and owner of MML Hospitality. He was born and raised in Austin, and his culinary career began at age 16, working in a variety of Austin restaurants. In 2004, at the age of 22, he began putting the team together for Lambert's Downtown Barbecue. Fast forward to today, with 23 restaurants, hotels, and retail shops under MML Hospitality, Larry focuses on project development, finance, and operations at MML, while co-leading concept and interior design at Lambert McGuire Design. He also has his hand in fashion as the managing partner of a retail institution in Austin by George. Larry, it's super nice to have you with us today. Great to be here, Colin. Thanks so much for, for having me on the podcast. So to get started, um, you started pretty young in your entrepreneurial journey. Um, tell me about kind of how this spark for hospitality, restaurants, you know, these convivial experiences, like when did you really notice that you wanted to um, run after this as a, as a vocation? I grew up um, in a family in Austin that was uh, kind of always cooking and um making things from scratch. My mom hates hates it when I call her hippie, but uh, she was definitely kind of dabbling in macrobiotic cooking, you know, baking bread, making yogurt and things um, at home in Austin and at a young age. Um, a lot of my neighbors had gardens and things like Austin was just like a very kind of slower paced, medium sized town at that point, you know, early 80s. Um, so I was always kind of just drawn to the kitchen. And it really kind of started um i'm the youngest i have two older brothers and my mom um my parents got divorced i was kind of you know single mother household and my mom was going back to school to get a master's and um there was just opportunity to like get into the kitchen cook for my brothers myself and um you know my mom kind of really supported it from a from a young age so then it kind of progressed into really like doing whole holiday meals like by the time i was 11 12 i was like you know cooking the entire thanksgiving Thanksgiving meal and getting, making fancy tarts and like getting, really getting deep into it. So it was always like the chef thing, restaurant thing was always something I really um, was passionate about and kind of wanted to pursue. Um, I never really thought about it in terms of like a career, um, you know, until I got a little older and started working summer jobs. Um, I first worked at at a neighborhood bakery called Texas French Bread that, you know, I was growing up had bunch of locations um and i actually met lou lambert the chef there um he was building a commercial kitchen space uh and catering company two doors down that would end up being the commissary for joe's coffee and for the hotel san jose uh liz his sister 
was working on the San Jose. Um, this is, you know, I was 15, 16 at the time. So from an early age, like I started working with them and kind of seeing what they were building in my neighborhood on South Congress. And, and so I was kind of around while I was in high school at Austin High. I was around the beginning of the transformation of South Congress that they really kicked off with uh, with their businesses down there. Um, so went to the University of Texas and, you know, started line cooking full time at night uh, in Lou's restaurant. It's Lambert's American Kitchen, which is ironically, it's where Neighborhood Sushi is is now. We still are in the space uh, and really just first fell in love with with that, you know, just the camaraderie of line cooking and and uh, and being in the kitchen. And so that's really that's really how it started. And, um, you know, thought I never really thought out into the future of what that would lead to back then. I just kind of eventually knew by the time I was in my early 20s that I wanted to open restaurants. And and so that's what I started pursuing. And for those that aren't familiar, Liz Lambert, the hotelier, we've had her on the podcast. You know, she revitalized what was a kind of broken down, you know, motel and turned it into something very interesting over time, of course, um, called the Hotel San Jose. And a lot of this um, combined with the the compound efforts of, of Larry have really set the stage for modern Austin, right? You know, I think I think that 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 path of of innovation of craft with hospitality and retail has really been a powerful force in in making Austin what it is today. What was the vibe at that time? You know, in, in the early days where Austin was completely different than it was now. Yeah. I- Liz is, you know, is a visionary and, is, and and has gotten a lot of a lot of credit and now almost um, to the detriment. I think some people see of what what South Congress has become. But back then it was uh, empty storefronts. There was a you know a feed store. Um, there were a couple institution live music venues. Continental Club uh, was kind of the only thing and. I always tell people I grew up in Travis Heights and my friends and I, you know, 10 years old could ride our bikes down South Congress and weave across both lanes of traffic, you know, just big S turns and there would be no cars on the street, just zero traffic. And so that hotel really came out of nowhere. Um, you know, it just came out of Liz's brain, I think. And um, it was, she also used like Flato, which is like one of their first um, commercial projects and and just a beautiful project I, I remember thinking just where did this come from and who are these people you know as a as a kid growing up here and um you know Liz had been a lawyer and it was a second career and and came from you know grew up in west texas and um her grandfather and in, in the ranching business the hotel in small towns in west texas really you know become the center of of where you meet and do business and that's kind of what started on South Congress. It just became a meeting place um, and a starting point for creatives in town. Um, it had a really lively bar scene and um, it was just an enclave, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it really did kick off, kick off of what South Congress has become. Obviously, you know, there's been a lot of commercialization in South Congress, but there still are a lot of vibes, you know, I still visit the, the kind of patio at the San Jose for a drink. 
I like to get to Joe's at like 6.45 in the morning and like uh-huh. have a coffee before the pandemonium kind of ensues. And there is a special kind of intangible vibe to a lot of this stuff. And I've also noticed that with your restaurants. So it's like, talk me through when you're when you're building a new concept, you know, what you're thinking about in terms of obviously the cuisine, but the design and the sort of placemaking, like a lot of this for those that are not in the business, it's, it's, it's very mysterious. We know it when we feel it, you know, the alchemy of a place that has a buzz. Um, but I want to kind of understand how you think about, you know, the, the secret magic as it relates to character and community with the stuff that you're building or trying to build. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's not just me that's building these things, but we have a huge team of, of people now that are behind the, this this thing. When we were early on, it was, uh, you know, me and my partner, Tom, who's also a chef and a couple other friends and early partners that were that were really like doing this whole thing. And we were doing one every one every two years or one every two and a half years when we started. So the, the you know, the, the body of work now is, is so many people that have touched these places. Um, and so it's very collaborative. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with like the layered feel of these things. Um, so before it was very much like it was chef driven and Tom and I were, you know, picking out all the plates and designing the uniforms and making the playlists and, um, you know, the, the whole immersive experience is something that we started working on early on. It kind of, I think hit its peak with our third restaurant, Elizabeth street cafe, which is a, you know, Vietnamese cafe where we really like it was, we did the interior, the music, the uniforms we designed, like it was that it's kind of like that what became the model for what, like, I think an MML restaurant is, um, which I think people know us for the details, but from a macro sense now, you know, we have older restaurants that are 16, 17 years old. And then, and then we're always, we're, we're going forward and opening new stuff. So a lot of what we're, really thinking about is like where that sweet spot is of like institution versus exciting versus innovative like and luckily we've been in austin where there wasn't a lot here um you know so i would go to new york go to paris go to la travel see something oh wow like we need that and so from a consumer we were just building stuff for ourselves that we wanted here that we thought other people would like as well and so that that's been kind of the that's how we come up with concepts. You know, we're definitely traveling and being inspired constantly. And luckily, we live in a place that's been able to support you know twenty of our ideas. Um, but it it really has become kind of a a pattern work that comes together with all these different people who handle different things for us now. And um, we call it cook to concept. You know, it's whether we have a talented chef or someone making amazing playlists. It's when we have this many different concepts, they got to stay within the, in the four walls. I've noticed that like the community element is pretty important to, to what you do. You know, um, there's a, there's a through line, there's a cohesiveness, right? I, I noticed it very, first when I was, you know, hanging out at the St. Cecilia back in the day, I was like, this playlist is amazing. Who did this playlist, you know, like really pulling all of the threads. And I think that that's what, really stands out to me with a lot of the things you're working on is like, there's very thoughtful layers across the entire experience. I also wanted to talk a little bit about a concept that I love, which is your, your uh, ski shores cafe idea. 
And I just want to talk a little bit, set the stage, you know, for the listeners, like, what does it feel like to go to this place? What was the inspiration? Because it feels like it's kind of from another time in a really nice way. It is. It is from another time. I mean, for those that don't really know Austin that well, you know, it's it's an extreme lake community here um, that exists. Like, and, and a lot of people don't really ever see that part of it. Um, they see kind of Barton Springs and the public pools and things like that. But, you know, Lake Austin is right on the west edge of town. And when you grow up here, I mean, it's like having a boat is the dream, a ski boat. And uh, now it's like a surf boat. And so growing up, Ski Shores was the institution on the lake. It's midway up the lake. um, So you can get to it by boat. You can park your boat there. You can drive out through the hills. Um, It's been owned, the property and the concept, the name are owned by an old family that has owned and developed a big side of that lake called the Fowler family. And then there's been, they've had different people operating it over the years. I think we're the 10th operator since, uh, since the 1950s. And so, yeah, we got our hands on it a couple of years ago and it's literally like throughout my career, I thought, you know, someday maybe, you know, we'd be able to get a chance to do ski shores. Um, And so, yeah, we've kind of just, you know, I I would say we tried to make it the best version of itself that we we could. And, you know, it has to have the best lakeside divey hamburger and fish tacos and that. So it's, we, we really like up the food program. Um, but I would, I mean, to me, it's heaven um, on a on a hot summer afternoon in Austin. That's about a, the best thing you can do is be on a boat with friends, park at ski shores in the middle of your day, have have a great lunch, um, and just it's the Austin vibe. You know, it's it's the definition of of what it what it is. What's cool about it is you pulled out and and channeled the essence of what this was in terms of like Austin culture, but kind of probably elevated a few things, probably recontextualized some of the F and B a tiny bit or elevated it. But, but I really love the tightness of the brand that, that, that you, you kind of tapped into another time in a nice way. Yeah. I think, I mean, another important thing about Austin is everybody loves it the most when they moved here. It's like, it's like if you moved here in 1985, then 1985 is the best Austin ever was. Like if you were a kid in the 90s, like I was, you know, I was, that was the best time it ever was. Like so, it's important. I think nostalgia is an important part of the of the Austin culture and brand, and that's something that we're that we love too, and is important to us. And that's you know, we've we've half this half our stuff is new, and half our stuff is older businesses that we've. Um, you know, been lucky enough to get involved with and like Jeffries and we just took over word of mouth catering. And so it's like all these things that I grew up with. And um, I think it's like those sentiments of childhood, what you think of like restaurants and hospitality of. Um, I think we we try to like play out that fantasy a bit for people, you know. Which is important. I love what you were saying about a restaurant can be very of the moment, but then fizzles out. There's things that are kind of like long-term iconoclasts that last forever. And it's like, where do you sit on the spectrum? But also appealing to nostalgia or a person's personal history of a place is also a very powerful thing to do, you know, especially when you're you're taking over a place and recontextualizing it. Um, that creates a little bit more of an emotional bond, right? And 
and we're in a time where there's a lot of private capital, there's a lot of expansion of stuff. There's a lot of what I've been calling like the razor blade factory of experiences where hmm. something doesn't just feel right. You know, it, it doesn't have the patina or you, you, you kind of tap on the veneer and it doesn't feel the right way. So that real depth and emotional experience of a place is really important. Um, I wanted to segue a little bit and talk about the Hotel San Vincent in, in New Orleans about this project, um, because obviously very ambitious, quite a large property. Talk me through how that's doing. Talk me through, you know, what you guys wanted to do and, and you know, where it's at right now. Just as a bit of background, Liz, Liz built up and kind of sold a, a, a position of Bunkhouse Hotels, her parent company, um, to Standard. And at some point left that company and and now she's she became our third partner at uh she joined uh tom mormon and i so that's how we're the mmls uh mcguire mormon lambert and we were um you know had been working together for years on you know us on the fmb side and her on the hotel side separately so um we had an opportunity to to do this project together and liz liz joined basically the our restaurant group and now and we're building out a out a hotel management side and this is our first project so it's um it very much is like we're building we're building the team and we're learning um liz and i also did the interiors and designed the hotel through our through our um hospitality design company that we hold separately from the management group and so it's it very much is a um our first project and ground up and um it's uh it's a very historic property that was built in 18 between 1863 and 1865 um, as an orphanage um, by a um, Irish immigrant named Margaret Howery, who is the first uh, female millionaire in New Orleans and um, started building um, orphanages, nunneries with the Catholic Church there. So this is a it's a crazy property. It's sitting right in the lower garden district, which is a I would call it like a emerging neighborhood you know you have garden district just uh just the next the next neighborhood over and then you have the warehouse district kind of um on the other side so it's kind of this in-between neighborhood that's that's uh pretty neat and emerging when we bought the property um it was kind of a flop house um it was being run almost as like a traveler's hostel um so it was in it was in really scary condition and so it's it's yeah it's been a labor of love we love we love new orleans and it's as our first project it's it's been super challenging we we opened in june um and then had a major hurricane um in september and also during covid so it's it's you know our team's been really learning how to manage a property from afar like this and also build a hotel and hire staff and and the whole thing and coming at it from a you know from an f and b background um was always the goal because that's New Orleans, you know, so it's, it's been an awesome um, project to learn about the hotel business. And I'm learning about, you know, occupancy and uh, pricing and pace and all these things that were kind of foreign to me. It's been, it's also been something very different, you know, I mean, obviously you have what the ACE did with Maison de la Luz, but it really, the ambition and the, the, the design kind of, really elevated a lot of new orleans you know in terms of where it, where it's at 
which is exciting. And then I think um, what is missing? So you guys are working on a, on a, on a ski project in Aspen, obviously one of the top luxury markets in the world, you know, there's the Jerome, the St. Regis, tons of very high end places, but how are you guys going to tap into, you know, some of the soul of, of Aspen people that have been there and kind of bring a little bit more vibe to a very glitzy market. I'm very excited to understand your vision for what you want to build there. Right. We're, yeah, we're super excited. We have the the Aspen Mountain Chalet, uh, which we bought uh, two years ago, and it's a it's a it's a sixty key property that's right in the middle of the town. It was built um, by the Melville family. A, a guy named Ralph Melville started building it in the fifties. He was kind of like one of Aspen's first ski bums, um, and his family has built and run this thing forever. Like, there's a bunch of kids, and they've all taken turns kind of managing it. There, some of them are born in the hotel. So, so not unlike New Orleans, very unique kind of storied building and, and project um, kind of kind of prime for a re reimagination. Um, and like wherever we go, we're, we're really like Liz and I bought a house in New Orleans. Like we're, we're, we're trying to spend a lot of time there. You said community is really important to us. And it's like we're not trying to drop things in other places that shouldn't be there. And, um, and we're, and we're super patient in learning like what that needs to be Aspen. Um, my wife grew up going there. I've been going there now for, um, about 10 years and, you know, we have, we have Clark's there, uh, oyster bar, which went into a, a, a really beloved kind of divey chili parlor named little Annie's. So I got my kind of first taste of not the glitzy side of Aspen, but like, Hey, the, the side that like this is where we go like bring our kids and get like a cheap hamburger in Aspen. Cause that, that side still exists. You know, there's a real town there. There's 6,000 people that live there. Um, it's like half billionaires and half ski bums living out of their car. It's like this crazy mix of people. So um, we've, you know, our Aspen is, um, is based around adventure and based around the outdoors. Um, I'm kind of a mediocre skier, but my wife's an amazing skier and, and has, and her family is like, her mom's climbed every 14 er in, in Colorado. So we, we're coming at it from, you know, approach of, um, trying to try to do something different. Like you said, the Jerome is an all bearish property. Little Nell is there and, you know, they're like five, six star traditional luxury hotels. And that's not even what we you know know how to do. That's not what we really aspire how to do. We really are trying to, tap in and and there's a fight going on in Aspen right now between the restoration hardwares of the world and the mom and pop stuff that's been there forever. And I think what we've been able to kind of navigate in Austin is a way to do luxury in a way that feels authentic and true to the, the place. And uh, that's what we're trying to do uh, with the mountain chalet in Aspen. And it's still going to be, it's still going to be luxury and elevated, but it's uh it's more about the fun and the adventure and being outdoors. Cause that's just what, that's just our personal perspective on what makes Aspen so great. It's not, and, and not that's still, yeah. it still exists. I love what you said. There's some like really hardcore people um, that are there and, and they, that exist in lots of different communities like this. I, I spend a lot of time in Chamonix and I actually like that place because most of the people there have like, duct tape on their like 20 year old <laughs> Gore-Tex right. jacket and they're not screwing around. So it's like, 
that spirit um, as opposed to the kind of slightly disposable global luxury <laughs> thing that is interchangeable between Majev, Aspen, you know, and you know other places. So um, finding the finding what is interesting, you know, and kind of tapping to that. Also, I, I looked at I looked at this property, and it, it, it's nice because it has a very like classic alpine thing going on so you can kind of play to some of those codes a little bit oh we're we're digging into that stuff so we you know after we bought the hotel uh my wife and i drove all through the alps um chamonix stad st moritz we've been and now we've been going um we just got married in actually in st moritz and so um what we've been like so happy to find is um these towns that like are so glitzy like say Moritz for example but the people and the hospitality and the partying and the outdoorsmanship is like you know still so next level and it's it's not you know yeah Aspen you know people are flying in and it's leather pants and fashion and all that but it's that combination of the grit and the, the people who are still there to just max out their ski time and all that um and the people who are going to Louis Vuitton to shop, it's that's what makes it so Aspen such a neat place. These, these tensions always kind of make for more of an interesting, yeah. interesting vibe. I wanted to right. talk a little bit. Um, I'm excited to hear about your inspiration, you know, who you're paying attention to in terms of hoteliers, design places. I mean, it's cool that you, you did the, the inspiration trip to kind of understand some of these more storied European spots, but like just as you're, as you're keeping an open aperture on the worlds of design hotels, like what are you really into? Like, what are you paying attention to? What do you like? I think as, as I get older, I kind of get a little bit more insular. Um, but you know, social media makes it so easy to see everything that's going on all the time, which is, yeah. you know, in the design world, I think people are, you know, people get worried that it's just like, it's like everything's kind of the same because you're just seeing your Instagram algorithm and you're just seeing the same designers and you're seeing, you know, the same uh, houses, the same design houses doing hotels over and over again, you know. So it's really hard, I think, to, you know, to feel uniqueness, to see uniqueness. And so I'm, I'm, you know, go kind of try to go back to just what am I, what kind of consumer am I? And to try to like, you know, build stuff that pleases me, um, that pleases our, our kind of, you know, immediate friends, family. Mm -hmm. Getting to here, you know, I'm 41 and not having a formal culinary background, not having a formal design background. Now it's like we get into real estate development, not being a, you know, not, ha not having a business degree, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, I consumed a lot in my twenties and thirties to like get here, I think I would say. And, and you know, that had to do with when we bought by George, this like 40 year old, um, multi-brand fashion boutique in Austin, you know, I started going to, I started going to market in New York, LA, Paris, Milan. And so I was traveling a ton and just, you know, I think it just contextualized my, just like having seen every damn dining chair that's out there, you know, having seen, all the famous hotels in Paris, eating at all the places. Um, what you kind of start to learn is like these, the core places in these, in these like Paris, Milan, they're all the restaurants have been around for a while. Like it, it 
you look at everyone's top 10, 20 list in Paris, it hasn't changed much in the last five, 10, 20 years. It's like the same stuff. Yeah. And so that, you know, those are the businesses that we're trying to build. We're trying to build things that last and are beloved. And, um, and it doesn't have to be like our goal when we open something is that people walk in and be like, has this been here? Like, I, I can't even tell when this was built, you know? Um, and so I, I think that's kind of our, our lens. If, and from a business standpoint, you know, we want to last, we, we are patient. We, the businesses that we respect are not necessarily the ones that are winning awards and ones that are like hot. Now it's the ones that are like, man, in year seven, it's better than it's ever been. Like, that's what gets me excited, you know? Like more, um, more slow, slow growth. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I think um, there is a particular touch that, you know, Keith McNally has with at least a few of his restaurants where it, you know, you built something for time, you know, it's, it's, it manages to transcend some of the hype cycles and, and, and has this continuity. So I like that that's something that you're um, running after, right? Right. And we're just getting, like, we're just getting better at designing places that work. So, I mean, I think so much of a successful restaurant is like the dish pit, where it is, how it looks, the noise coming from it, the lighting in the dish pit, like, and that is a microcosm of how we think about the whole thing. Like the bars, how are we pumping out drinks the fastest so that you're never waiting for a cocktail. And um, so now we're building like satellite service bars in most of the, uh, most of the places, which is a Hillstone trick. You know, you, you I was just going to say Hillstone yeah, we operationally. I mean, maybe it's <laughs> not like the coolest thing to name check, but like the details that I see in a Hillstone in terms of the tables being screwed into the ground, divisible by three. So there's waiters don't have more than three tables, the lighting, the sidecar right. with the martini, like all of these things. What are your little secrets that you'll divulge? in terms of some of these things, in terms of how human beings interact with the space and, and some of the things that you've learned, hard-earned lessons in terms of designing a restaurant or a hospitality experience? You know, one thing that we try to really maintain is that they feel like design builds. Um, and they, they, they very much are. It gets more challenging as we're building things in other cities. But most of the time, the spaces are not all the way designed by the time we start construction so that we're able to to feel it out and to like be like ah like this table just a couple inches over like the bar is like half an inch too low like these bars are supposed to be a tiny bit closer together and i think that's comes out of just like having designed and built all these places for ourselves um so i think that's a real key and it and it also like that they're not too nice um like i've made the like as a young restaurateur builder hotelier i think you're just kind of like you don't want you can get tricked into just like the more we spend the better it's going to be and i think you know we've been pretty disciplined not all the time i mean we've definitely overspent but a lot of the times we're like it's we, we just can't spend on that tile we got to use dowel tile it's got to be like white four by four in the kitchen and there's a humbleness to it and a functionality to it that i think is one of the kind of keys to our success is they're like they're living breathing working things and they feel like that. They don't feel too precious. And and I think, you know, when I look at like places that inspi have inspired us in the past, Swan's Oyster Depot in San Francisco is a big one. Um, those are the places that last and that people like. And whether you're a billionaire or, you know, save up and go out for a birthday dinner, like those are the places you're going to want to go to over and over and over again. 
are the places that feel genuine and feel like ah, it's, they're not it's not putting on airs like you know they couldn't afford that tile and that's what it is and it and it and it you know they made it look the best they could so i think that's that's one of the keys i like that you've had sort of pattern recognition from doing this over and over and over and kind of the slow optimization over time i think um I wanted to ask you a two-part question. Acoustics, in terms of how to create good acoustics in a restaurant, and also sound and ambience when it comes to music programming. Like, how right. do you think about that? I think that's changing too. I mean, I think when we were when we were first building restaurants, um, and I think it was a, a trend. It was like small plates and noisy restaurants. I mean, that was like every restaurant that was built, like every major city in the U.S. was like you know, kind of the Estella model from uh, on Houston in, in New York, where it was like great small plates, super loud. You're crunched in together and that's what felt like hip and trendy. And I think, um, you know, as maybe as a result of COVID, I don't, I don't know. It just, maybe it's just people's, I just think people's trends and taste change, but I think people want a little bit more space. They don't want to scream at each other um, and they want to relax. So I think our, our push is to, well-conditioned spaces like we're using sound engineers now to really actually condition and think about how how sound is going to flow in a space music and uh chatter and and whatever um so we've just gotten more professional in how we think about it i think um music wise it's always been like it's such a big part of of what we're doing because we're you know fans and and just think it's such a key part of dining out is is not only are, are you eating something that is inspiring, wine, cocktails, whatever, but, um, you know, you want to hear something new too. And so um, we really feel like we've got your two hours and we want to like fill it with as much good stuff as we can. So the music has, has been a key and um, we've had, you know, three, two or three people working on full time on music um, on the on the management team, making all of our own playlists. Um, for you know as long as i can remember so such a part of austin too you know what i mean in terms of the soul of the uh, of the place and and seeing how that can extrapolate as you open up in different places last question i wanted to ask you is great hospitality experiences are based off of the people right the front line the the, the host or hostess that's welcoming you into the oyster bar you know when you're hiring or your team is hiring what are you really looking for, you know, in terms of in terms of the type of um, hospitality that that kind of makes your brand and and your projects? I think you know the key to the key to it is like people that that enjoy coming to work every day. I, I you know Danny Meyer talks about the natural hospitality quotient. We haven't gotten you know that technical. We're a little bit more like laid back about it. I think, um, or just we don't have the time. But um, like it. it we ha we've had a shift in focus in our organization about like kind of like where the key people lie. Like when we were at two or three restaurants, um, you know, we were hitting them all every day. It was still very much this like tight knit uh, leadership team. And as we've grown, you know, we've had to add structure and we've had to add layers of directors of ops and GMs and all these things. And so now we really look for a key general manager at every store 
um, the key general manager and key kitchen uh, kitchen leader, whether it's a chef de cuisine, an executive chef, a kitchen manager. It's kind of like th the concepts require different things. And then those people um, need to feel, you know, they need to feel ownership over the, over the location and they need to have just a genuine, you know, desire to please people. And, um, and so that sounds kind of probably like just duh, but, um, you know, not everybody's in the hospitality business because they love hospitality. You know, it can be, a, it can be a real fallback thing. And so what we've tried to create is like an organization that's professional and, and, and creates enough, you know, vertical movement for people that are really like want to build a career, not only in hospitality, but in something. And it happens to be hospitality for us. And, uh, so we'd really try to find people that, um, you know, there's a certain level of ambition every day coming to work and that's, that's beating, beating the guests to the door. Um, you know, that's, that's all those little, that's all those little old school touches. And I think, you know, that's, we're, we're kind of focused on the major D as a, as a, one of our highest, um, most valuable positions at this point as we grow. It's a, it's a tough job and it actually, you can really notice when one is super professional, right. And when, when, when there's that sense of welcome and when there's that sense of anticipation, it really, you know, it's a department of first impressions. Right. And so I think that that's a, that's a great way to something that's great thing to emphasize. So you're in, hotels, you're in restaurants, you know, what is the real estate play? You know, what is, what are you thinking about in the future? Well, we're working on this pretty major project in Austin. Um, that's kind of, you know, an absolute dream project. Um, we, about five years ago, some of the real, real estate that we were renting on West 6th street here in Austin, which is kind of a major corridor just west of downtown. Um, became available. I started talking to our landlord who is a architecture professor at, at UT who was retiring and he actually, he owned quite a bit of kind of eclectic properties around town. So we ended up buying um, seven buildings from him on, um, on West 6th street and we're able to then subsequently buy another um, eight, eight or nine buildings around it that kind of make up um, what we're calling six and Blanco. It's kind of a, a new retail and restaurant museum district that we're working on and um once we kind of had had put it all together we realized like we have no idea what we're doing um with this and uh part of this is is a, a is an amazing vertical development site and so at that point we partnered um with a local developer named riverside resources and started shaping up um half the site into uh you know into a new into a new mixed use project and um kind of had a wish list of architects that that uh we started contacting and one of them was Herzog Demeron and thought it was a complete complete long shot but um they ended up taking the project and so we're about to break ground on this um 200,000 square foot five story mixed use building designed by Herzog it'll have our third hotel in it um uh that's all on the third floor um it, with this like amazing indoor outdoor vibe and then we have, we also have 10 um 10 homes that are on that kind of sit on top of this this building that are um the first herzog residential um the first re herzog residential project outside of, of new york and california and also 
we'll have a couple of our new concepts um, in the ground floor retail spaces. And we're also out in the market um, kind of leasing, leasing fashion and um, museum space and all that. So that's exciting because I, I find that you see this often in Tokyo, right? You know, Toronomon Hills, some of these developments where it's a little bit of residential hotel, um, beautiful F and B retail. It, it creates this kind of convivial thing, and it's all pretty vertical, right? And it, it seems um, progressive and cool that it's coming to Austin. Yeah, when we when we started thinking about how this thing was going to develop, like the traditional the traditional vibe was to like build, a, you know, a series of buildings that have different uses, all connected by retail. Um, and so Herzog, you know came up with this kind of layer cake approach and to stack the uses on top of each other to have a hotel across an acre and a half on a third floor of a building with, you know, every room having an outdoor garden and outdoor shower, but being on a building um, was a pretty, we thought, amazing use of the site. And um, it's a very leafy neighborhood. um, So it's, it's kind of like the whole architecture and the materiality of the building just blend into the neighborhood. Um, we're hand making all the tile in Guadalajara with friends, and it's just become like this. This really like feels right kind of type of development for Austin, which is like most of the stuff you see is just a green glass box going up. So sure. um, I also like the yeah, idea of the uh, outdoor shower as part of it is is kind of a delightful addition, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're trying to like that. There is you know an Austin like ideal lifestyle, which is. Um, having your bathing suit in the car in the summer and having margaritas on a patio with friends. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a very, a lot of people host here and it's just a very friendly place. So trying to build like a project of this scale that embodies like these kind of like more homey, humble tenants, I think is, is pretty interesting. Cool. Well, Larry, this has been awesome. Uh, we're out of time, but I really want to thank you. We covered a lot of ground and everything was super thoughtful and i appreciate you taking the time with us today appreciate y'all having me call join us for future skift ideas podcasts as we speak with the most creative and forward-thinking innovators in travel as always go to skift.com to stay up to date on the latest news and insights across the travel industry 